loves us. That's an amazing thought. I hope we don't ever get over that. I hope we don't ever get over the day we got saved. What an amazing thing that God did. I'll tell you, there's a lot of things this world gets excited over. There's a lot of things I get excited over. I hope nothing so great as my salvation. And I hope the same for you too. So we've got a lot of things to be in prayer about, a lot of things to be thankful for. I'm glad that we have a God that uh, bears our burdens, gives us strength through them. Sometimes He brings healing. Sometimes He brings resolution to it. Sometimes He just gives us the strength to go on and helps us to be strengthened in our faith by the process. And we need to be content in each way and rejoice in each way because they're both needful. And uh, I hope that will be helpful. If you have any other prayer requests or something maybe that the Lord has done good to answer a prayer for you, we'd love to hear that this morning as well. And so we'll take a few moments for other requests. Yes, ma'am. Okay. <laughs> wow. Oh, good. <coughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. All right. Good. All righty. Anything else? Miss Sandy? Praise the Lord for that. Amen. Amen. All right. In case you didn't hear that, the Lord spared them from a very serious accident yesterday. So praise the Lord for that. Really? Wow. So we thank the Lord. It, his watch care over us is certainly something to be thankful for, too. No doubt. His protection. All right. Yes, sir. Good, good. All righty. Praise the Lord for that, too. All right, yes, ma'am. Miss Becky? Okay. Wow, okay. 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 All right. So pray for Sarah. You said Sarah. Okay. So pray for Sarah. All right. Anything else? Okay. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do come to you this morning. We are grateful and thankful for your blessings to us. We're thankful for our salvation this morning. Lord, may we never get over it. For your watch care over us, for the, the love that you express to us each and every day that, Lord, we, we really need to be reminded of far more often than we are that we are undeserving of it, which makes it even more special that, that we understand your love for us. 
and uh, your concern, your desire to be a part of our lives, be able to help us and to strengthen us, to give us wisdom and instruction and guidance. Lord, may we, may we cling to those things. May we, we long for them and hunger and thirst for them. May they be a vital part of our lives. We pray that you would bless these requests that have been mentioned. And, Lord, we're thankful for the answers to prayer and some of the relief that some of our folks have gotten in their illnesses and the good to see them back here again uh, with us. And then yet, Father, we have so many of our people that are uh, battling uh, very, very serious life-threatening illnesses. We think of uh, Miss Florence this morning. And, Lord, give grace there, we pray, and to the family. And um, for those that maybe are in the family that would not know you as their Savior, I pray that you would draw their hearts through this and help them to see their need of trusting you as their Savior. We do pray for Brother Jess Harris, and Lord, that you would touch his body and give uh, ease of the pain and the discomfort. May you give grace to, uh, to Miss Sarah, and Lord, uh, draw near to her. We pray for uh, Miss Florence, or, or I'm sorry, Miss Evelyn, and Brother Norm that you would uh, continue to work in their lives and strengthen them physically. For Miss Kimmy this morning, for Linda Crump, uh, Lord, so many of our people that just need prayer. We think of Sarah, uh, Miss Becky's daughter, that you would uh, give some uh, guidance there as well and, and with the doctors uh, trying to evaluate and figure out what's going on there. Lord, we're thankful for your watch care over Brother Mark and Miss Sandy yesterday and uh, the very fact that you gave protection to them. We're thankful for the good report of uh, little Weston and, Lord, how you've worked in his life and pray that you'll continue to help him. And for Hannah out in Texas, I pray that you would bless their family. And, Lord, they're going through an awful lot right now. They're trying to serve you. They're trying to go out on a direction that they believe you've called them to, and yet they seem to be uh, having an awful lot of things they're going through. And so if you will, uh, Lord, we ask that you would give uh, the... Uh, the peace of knowing what your will is to them. And then, Father, also that you would uh, give grace, whatever the trial, whatever the circumstance, to bring them through it and strengthen them. We pray that you'll bless our services today. And, Lord, may you speak to our hearts. May your Holy Spirit do a work in us and draw us closer to you. Help us throughout this day that we would glorify you in all that we say and all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. In the book of Galatians this morning, in the book of Galatians, we're getting into some of, uh, some of my favorite of the Paul, Pauline epistles. Uh, I love Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Uh, there's so many of them. I, I always say we're getting into one of my favorite books. It's usually the one I'm studying at the time. Uh, it's so rich, isn't it? Aren't you glad for God's Word? being so rich in every aspect. It really is. And as you, as you dig deeper, it's just, it just it, it feeds you. It just thrills your soul. And um, Galatians has been called the Magna Carta of the Christian liberty. It's probably the greatest single portion of Scripture in our Bible dealing with the topic of uh, Christian liberty, the liberty we have in Christ. And so Paul uh, pretty well uses these six chapters to... Uh, to correct some things in the churches of Galatia. And uh, Galatia is, is not a city, it's a region, and it has um, some of the uh, churches uh, would be uh, churches like uh, Ephesus would have been in that area. Um, uh, I can't think of some of the others off the top of my head. I, I, may, I may come up with a few more here in a little bit. But 
It was a region in uh, Asia Minor uh, where Paul traveled. He first went there on his second missionary journey. He writes this book during his third missionary journey, um, probably during the time that he was in Macedonia uh, on that third missionary journey, around 56 A.D. Uh, is the best date that we have for it. Paul is certainly uh, the author of it, and uh, we're going to see several uh, indications of Scripture on this. So if you will, turn with me to Galatians chapter 1 and verse number 1. We're going to see uh, three distinct passages that declare that Paul is the writer of this book, so there's not any doubt about it. But uh, verse, chapter 1 and verse number 1 of Galatians, the Bible says, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who hath raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me, unto the churches of Galatia. So he claims in verse 1, uh, right at the beginning of the letter, that he is the author. Also, if you'll turn over to Galatians chapter 5, we'll see once again he makes a statement of this in um, verse number 2. Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 2. He says, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing, for I testify again unto every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. And so again, he indicates in this portion of this letter to the churches of Galatia that uh, he is the writer, the author of it. Probably the greatest verse, I think, and, and I think is a wonderful verse in this particular book, is chapter 6 and verse number 11. Chapter 6 and verse number 11. Now, you've got to understand that many of the letters that Paul wrote, uh, it is pretty well known that he would dictate... Uh, some people believe he had poor eyesight. And as we get to verse number 11 of chapter 6, he says, You see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. And this was not a dictated letter. This was a letter that Paul wanted his own personal touch on. He was so uh, concerned about this issue in the churches of Galatia that he wanted to have his own personal touch on this. Of course, it's all through inspiration of Scripture. And when we call Paul the author or any of these uh, writers, the author, as we study these books, I hope we understand that that's the human instrument that was used. God is the one who gave them the exact words to pen by his inspiration. And I, I just want to clarify that. I know we've said it several times throughout this study, but when we talk about an author, we're not talking about him coming up with uh, his own interpretation of things. We're talking about him being uh, given the words by God to write and to pen. He's the human instrument that God uses. Um, one of the problems that he's dealing with here, and he had gotten word that the churches of Galatia were uh, struggling with the idea of legalism. Uh, and I want to define this because we misuse the term legalism so much today. Uh, if you have a standard, a biblical-based standard in your life or in a church that you teach or preach, oftentimes somebody will say, well, you are legalistic. And I will tell you this, that when we are following God's New Testament principles of Scripture in our lives and trying to be obedient to them, and we're going to see this as we go through this book today. In fact, this may be a two-week lesson, even though it's a short book, uh, because we're going to, I'm going to spend some time dealing with the issue of law and grace and uh, the idea of faith and, and, uh, and the law and how they relate to one another. But oftentimes people say, well, you're legalistic if you teach the moral truths of God's Word. That is not legalism. Legalism is saying that there is a requirement to keep the law in order to be saved. That is the true definition of legalism. Having a standard is not legalistic. It is Christ-honoring. In fact, quite often in Scripture, the Bible talks about how we should live. 
And he gives us very clear understanding in very specific areas, but he also, in addition to that, gives us numerous principles to guide us in things that, again, this, this Bible is relevant in every generation. And it is written by a God who knew these things before time, and so he wrote it in such a way, and he penned it in such a way, that these principles can apply no matter what comes across society. I was listening this week, sadly, to, um, uh, I, I mentioned his name the other day, but uh, Andy Stanley, who's the son of Charles Stanley, uh, apparently has, and I, I've not always had a whole lot of, uh, I've never really considered Andy Stanley a, a great theologian or anything, but he's come out here in the last several years and, and tried to separate the message of God from the Bible. And I heard, a, I heard another man that followed him this week, and I can't remember his name, but I was, I was watching a, a little excerpt of one of his messages, and he said, this book doesn't have the answers. In fact, it was a guy that was out at, at Bethel Church in California. He said, this book doesn't have the answers for everything in life. Well, I beg to differ. It does have the answers to everything in life. It guides and directs us. It's why God gave it to us. It is given to us by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be truly perfect. That he may be truly furnished. I'm sorry. The man of God may be perfect and truly furnished unto all good works. How many of them? All of them. It has the answer to every facet of life that we ever come up against. Don't let any other Bible teach you teach you other than this. This book is our sole and only authority of faith and practice. It's the foundation we go back to for instruction in life, for our wisdom, for our illumination and understanding between right and wrong, and how we ought to live. And as we submit ourselves to walking in the Spirit, we'll oftentimes determine our victory in the Christian life or the lack thereof. It is going to be based on our willingness to say, Lord, not my will, but what you've said, what you have given me in Scripture. Very, very important. So Paul is addressing this. This is the problem in the churches of Galatia. Look with me, if you will, in verse number 6 of chapter 1, and he expresses right at the onset, here's the problem. <clears throat> Paul writes this in Galatians 1.6, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that calleth you into the grace of God unto another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you, and would notice this phrase here, would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, uh, then ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of God. And so he's going to address this thing, because what had happened in the churches of Galatia is there were some very zealous uh, uh, um, Jewish religious leaders uh, that were holding them and pressuring them to still be under the bondage of the law, the law of Moses, that they were still required, and they were moving from a faith foundation of their of their of their salvation, a foundation of their salvation to a works. They were going back to this idea of works, and uh, Paul said it's a it's a it's a perverted gospel. By the way. Those are the only two religions that are in the world today. You can take 
the thousands that have names to them. And you could put all of them into one of two groups, faith alone or works. And you, you, can, you, you can say, well, what about this one? What about that one? It all boils down to faith alone or works. Even in Paul's day. I mean, we're talking about 56 A.D. here. This isn't very long after Christ has already ascended to heaven. And already the message of the gospel, Paul says, has been perverted. And, uh, and so there's a lot of these, uh, these leaders of Judaism, uh, the, the Old Testament law, the, the Orthodox Jewish uh, practices, that they were trying to reburden these believers by saying, you're still obligated under this law. You're under this bondage, this burden of the law. And Paul comes uh, on the, in this book and he sets this straight. He says, look, we're not under the law anymore. We're not bound under the law. And um, so I, I, I'm, I know where I'm going with this, and I can't wait to get to chapter number 5, but it's probably going to be next Sunday. And I want to, I want to teach on that one so bad right now, but I'm going, to, I'm going to go through systematically here so we don't get it out of order. Because um, I know where I'm going, and I'm already excited about it. So I hope I hope if you're not able to be here next Sunday, you'll cancel whatever it is and be here if we have to wait till then to get to it. I, it's great, great stuff. Uh, he, he approaches, uh, so he, he starts a couple things here. Uh, he gives this letter uh, to try to correct this 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 perverted gospel problem, and he he does so by approaching it from three different aspects. He starts with. Um, defining the gospel of grace that was once given to them. So he, he reiterates this. In the process of doing that, there's, there's a couple things he does. He, start, he starts by establishing his authority as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ to even deal with the situation. And I, I thought this as I was getting these notes together this week. Uh, the book of Galatians is a textbook of how we as Christians ought to be able to know to present the truth of, of God's Word and to give the message of salvation out. It is a textbook case. Paul starts by establishing an authority that he has to say these things on. And when we, when we share the gospel, it's important that there be an authority behind what we say, not just this is what I think. That's why I think it's so important that when we give the scriptures out, or when we give the gospel out, we say this is what the Bible says. This is what God has told us. And so Paul establishes his authority to deal with this subject, first of all, by establishing the fact that he was an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we get down to verse number um, 10 and 11, he says, "For uh, he's already stated in verse 1 he's an apostle, but in verse 10 it says, For I, do, I now seek, or do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of God. And verse number 11 he says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me, is not after what? Man. Notice what he says here, verse 12. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it. This true gospel he's going to share with them, that he's going to reestablish it and say this is the truth of this gospel message to, to contrast against the perverted one they followed after now. He says, I didn't receive this of man. Notice what he says here uh, in verse 12. He says, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation... Of Jesus Christ, Paul got his message of the gospel not from another preacher or another apostle. He didn't even get it from the scriptures, from what we understand here. But he got it by revelation of Jesus Christ, which, by the way, was still happening in that day. 
We don't have that happening today, by the way. Let me help you with that. Somebody gets up and says, I have a word of the Lord to give you, and it's not in the Scriptures. Don't believe a word of it. We have a completed book of Revelation that we hold in our hands today, and, and God has made it abundantly clear that that revelation has ended. We have it completed. This is what God has for us. And um, so, so don't believe these guys will get up and say, well, I've got a word of knowledge, or I've got something that God... And by the way, we've got to be careful of this. You know how many times we say, well, God told me, and then we can't find it in Scripture. We're, we're claiming revelation at that point. Folks, you've got to be really careful about, well, God told me this, God told me that. He speaks to us through His Word as the Holy Spirit gives illumination and understanding of its passage. But He does not give us new revelation that is not found in Scripture. He does not do that. If you ever hear, if you ever get this thought in your mind and you wonder, is this of me or of God? If it's not found in Scripture, it's of you. Because He does not give new revelation. Okay? So I want to help you with that. And hopefully, I, I, we've taught on that in the past, but I just want to reiterate that. Because sometimes people, we, we, we tread that, that tightrope sometimes of saying, well, God told me, and we're being, it really is our own will. Uh, so we've got to be careful of that. So, so Paul establishes his apostleship, his authority to do this. And uh, his intent is to boldly present them uh, with what they should do at this point. And the, he does this by doing two things. He says, first of all, you need to do away with the false gospel of works. Get, get that out of your system. And then the second thing is, he says, you need to demonstrate in your lives the superiority of justification by faith. What does that entail? When you got saved and your faith saved you, and God allowed His grace to be applied because you put your faith in Him, what did that accomplish in your life? And how should that affect your life moving forward? Uh, are works bad? No. But they are not the gospel. And this is very, very important, that we, and we're going to look at that a little bit further. So the book can be easily divided into three areas. We're going to go back. I'll give you the three areas, and then we're going to go back and look at them a little more in detail. But chapters 1 and 2, he starts by defending the gospel of grace. He does that by establishing his apostleship. And then he does it by proclaiming the true message uh, of salvation. Uh, by the time he gets to the end of chapter 1, first half of chapter 2, he has even made sure that in the teaching of this to the churches of Galatia that he also had shared these same thoughts with the other apostles that were in Jerusalem and had gotten acknowledgement from them that they uh, believed this also to be the truth and that the validity of it and the, the fact that it was revealed to him by God and even so much so that when Peter misunderstood some of it, he actually went to Peter face-to-face -face and talked to Peter about it. And Peter was corrected by it. Peter, Peter again, uh, took it as this is what God has revealed about this, about this issue because it was becoming an issue. And so he does this in chapters 1 and 2. You'll read about all of that in there. Then he, he goes, uh, once he defends the, gospel, the true gospel message, then... He begins to explain the gospel of grace, how it does relate to the law. How do the grace and law interact? How do they relate to one another? Um, I'll give you just a nutshell version of it now, and we'll deal with it further. But the law is what brings us into bondage and shows us we're sinners. And by the way, it plays an important role. I'm not saying the law is evil here. It just doesn't redeem man from their sins. It brings us under condemnation for our sin. It shows us that we are sinners. In fact, Paul said, if it wasn't for the law, I wouldn't even know I was a sinner. He said, I, the law is important to me, but it didn't save me. 
Whereas grace, God's grace in putting our faith in Him, the law of faith and justification by faith, brings about a liberty from sin reigning in our bodies and frees us up to walk in the Spirit and produce the works and the fruit of the Spirit uh, under His power and under His guidance. And so uh, he, he takes this middle section of Galatians and he, he expounds on this, this issue. We're going to look closely at that, uh, Lord willing, next Sunday and spend a, a good deal of time on this issue of, of uh, law and grace. Very, very important that we as Christians understand this. Um, I know a lot of Christian folks that that get a little muddled, gets a little muddy when they start dealing with these issues. What role does the law still have in our lives? Does it have any role in our lives? We're going to talk about all that next week and make sure that we understand these things. In chapters 3 and 4, he, he, he explains this in its entirety. He uses eight, uh, eight, eight truths, if you will, eight... Um, Lines of reasoning, eight uh, defenses, theological defenses of the gospel message, the true gospel message. Um, first of all, he establishes the fact that uh, the Galatians, the believers in Galatia, had they had started in faith, and since they had started in faith, then they also needed to continue by faith. Don't go back to the works. Faith is what saved you. Faith is what's going to allow you to grow in the Christian life and continue to walk. Don't go back to the bondage that you were under when you were under the law. Uh, he makes the second point uh, in chapter 3, verses 6 to 9, that Abraham was justified by faith. In the Old Testament, he was justified by faith. And the same principle applies today. Again, not by works. He was, he was justified by faith. Uh, then this, the, the third uh, defense he gives is that Christ redeems all who trust in him, not only from... Uh, the penalty of sin, but also from the curse of the law, which is the penalty of sin and the sin reigning in our bodies. The, the law shows us that sin had dominion over us. And so not only does it redeem us from the penalty of this, the curse of the law, the penalty of it, but it also frees us from the reigning of sin. In fact, this is where God tells us, if there's, a, if there's temptation that comes, I, I won't put more on you than you can bear, and I'll make a way of escape. And every time that this temptation comes into our life now, we have a choice. Sin does not have to reign over us. It's broken its hold on us. We're going to talk a little more about that next week. And I wish, again, I wish I could. I want to give you the, the umbrella uh, framework, and then we're going to come put the meat on the bones next week. All right? So bear with us on this. And I, I'm excited for the meat, I'll tell you. I wish we had a two-hour uh, lesson this morning to do this. Um, uh, number four. The promise that God made to Abraham was not nullified by the law. The promise that God made to Abraham, we'll explain that uh, a little bit more in its entirety next week, because there's an, there's an allegory that, that Paul gives here in chapter 5 of the bondwoman's son and the freeman's son that I think is unbelievable uh, in, in the understanding of it. Just a tremendous, tremendous truth. Uh, number five, the law was given to draw men to faith, not to save them. The law was given to draw men to faith, but not to save them. Chapter 3, verses 19 to 22. The sixth line of defense he gives, and Paul's a master of this. He always lays his, his evidence out, and then he draws his conclusion. So the sixth line of defense he gives is that believers in Christ are the adopted sons of God and are no longer bound under the law. Chapter 3, uh, verses 23 through chapter 4, verse number 7, he deals with the fact that we are the adopted sons of God. Uh, number 7. That Galatians need to recognize their inconsistency 
and regain their original freedom in Christ. He deals with this in chapter seven, or chapter four, verses eight to twenty. So he, he addresses them specifically. Says you need to forsake this stuff and come back to the liberty that you have in Christ. Uh, and then uh, the eighth line of defense is where I really want to get to next Sunday, and I'm excited about it. Is looking at this allegory of the two sons of Abraham, and he uses this as a picture. Uh, and, and draws a conclusion from it. By the time Paul has exhausted these eight lines of defense, by the time he makes his statement, his concluding statement on it, it is an unimpeachable statement and ought to give us great confidence in Christ. And then the last section is uh, chapters 5 and 6. <clears throat> and in chapters 5 and 6, Paul makes application. How does this now affect our lives? Knowing this truth, how do we live by this? And it's in this section that he, uh, just as he gets into the end of chapter 5, beginning of chapter 6, he puts the brakes on because for five chapters now he's dealt with, you're not under the law, you're under grace. You're not under the law, you're under grace. You have liberty in Christ, you have liberty in Christ. And then he puts the brakes on, he says, but don't use liberty for an occasion to the flesh. And he kind of puts the warning on going to the extreme other end of that belief system and that mindset, which is, people taking this liberty in Christ and saying that also gives me now license to sin without consequence. And that is also not taught, and Paul deals with that. And aren't we glad he dealt with both sides of it? Because without it, we would have the tendency to say, well, then I can go out here and live however I want, and there's no consequence for it. But he does address this, and I'm thankful that he does. He does this in this third chapter. So he makes application of the gospel in chapters 5 and 6, the true gospel message, and he's going to deal with that. Uh, these Galatians have been pressured by these um, leaders of Judaism of the day. And uh, he warns them that law and grace are two contrary principles with regards to justification. But with regards to living our life, the law does have a role. So, again, we need to keep those two, two things separate and understand that when we talk about the law, there's the law as it applies to our justification. There's also the law and its application or its effect of our sanctification. And they are two distinct issues. And we'll keep those separate next week. Uh, I think we're probably going to go ahead and end there because I really can't get into the rest of this without going ahead and opening up the Pandora's box of what we're going to deal with next Sunday. And I just it's going to take a good 40 minutes to get through at least uh, what I want to get through next week. So let's go ahead. We'll get done. Three minutes early. I've kept you all late so many times that we'll get done a few minutes early today. And um, I'll tell you, folks, I'm very, and I can't, I don't very often do this in Sunday school. I got, I got so excited reading some of the truth of this book again this week and digging into some of it. Uh, please don't miss next Sunday. If we're in heaven, I'll, I'll, I'll excuse you. <laughs> if the rapture happens, We'll let the Lord teach it. Oh, what an amazing truth. And um, we'll take a time to look at that next week. Uh, I love the Bible, don't you? It's such a great book. And uh, how it guides and directs our steps. Well, let's stand together. We'll be dismissed in prayer, and then we'll be ready. Don't forget our cards in the back to sign that we need to sign there. And um, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we're thankful for your word, how it guides and directs our steps. I pray that you would help us to glean.